Hello, everyone. Welcome to the CrocCast Podcast. I'm your host, Nate, and today I'm joined by Will, a lab technician at the Georgia Sea Turtle Center. Will, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, let's get started by talking about how you first got into reptiles and kind of your career path up to this point. Sure. Uh, I actually kind of had a, a different path than a lot of people. Um, I you know, went to college, got my bachelor's of uh, science and biology, uh, originally really wanting to go to med school. Uh, so I originally wanted to be a genetic counselor, looking at uh, genetic diseases, kind of dipped my toe into more wildlife focused classes, uh, and then found my passion for marine biology, uh, and then kind of shifted focus looking towards uh, researching corals and did a lot of coral research uh, in undergrad uh, with ocean acidification. And then I kind of led into the realm of uh, sea turtles, which is what I'm doing currently. Um, and I took a, a sea turtle biology class in undergrad and I have been doing it ever since uh, the summer of 2019. Uh, so I kind of randomly took this class. And I was like, hey, that looks fun and found my passion of it uh, then found my passion of you know wildlife conservation and working with uh, amazing reptiles so uh, what all do you do at the research center yeah so down here on jekyll island georgia at the georgia sea Pearl center i am one of three research technicians here um so we have we just said goodbye to uh, some of our other seasonal uh, people. We had uh, five research AmeriCorps members. Uh, if you're not familiar with the program, it's uh, basically a Peace Corps, but uh, US-based, so they're service members. Uh, so we had five of those people. They were helping us out throughout the center or throughout the, the sea turtle nesting season. Um, and then my primary job was working on our Dawn Patrol shifts and leading uh, those crews and, you know, coordinating with our night patrol team who's out, you know, from 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. And then I come in at around 530 into the office. We kind of transfer over, debrief what happened that night. Uh, and then I go back on during the day from 6 a.m. until we're finished with the beach. Uh, we have, you know, checking all the nests that we have currently laid on the beach. Uh, you know, documenting any new nests that we have, uh, any signs of predation that being, you know, raccoons, ghost crabs, unfortunately, you know, dogs every now and then. Um, thankfully, we haven't had an issue with that uh, this season. Um, and going through, collecting all the, you know, scientific data that we need, we're getting different habitat measurements, uh, we're taking, you know, latitude, longitudes of where these nests are, uh, getting a lot of, a lot of in-depth details of several different projects that we're running. So it's kind of a little, little bit of chaos, um, but getting all that data, getting back, you know, out from the field, washing down our vehicles, you know, inputting all of our data and, you know, kind of the heavy intensive months of sea turtle nesting season are, you know, May through the end of July, that's our primary nesting season. Uh, so we're, you know, going nonstop constantly, um, kind of frantically running around, collecting data, entering that data. Um, then towards, uh, you know, August, September, October is when we're in our primary hatching season. So, you know, we've had all the nests that are gonna get laid. We don't have any more getting laid. They're starting to hatch out. Um, and after all that happens, um, you know, once we've documented these nests to hatch, um, we're actually gonna go in five days post hatch um, per our protocols here in Georgia. 
uh, and we're going to dig up those eggs, count all those hatched eggs, unhatched eggs, live or dead hatchlings. Uh, and we're also staging any of our undeveloped eggs uh, to see as to what developmental stage they were at and potentially answer questions like, you know, why were these unhatched eggs in this area more developed than others? So we can potentially better understand um, how these sea turtles are nesting and how they are, you know, effectively reproducing and contributing to their population. So uh, what species of sea turtles nest uh, on the Georgia coast? Yeah, so about 99% of what we see here in Georgia uh, is loggerhead sea turtles. Uh, they're one of seven species. Uh, so not familiar, there are seven species of sea turtle in the world. Uh, we're lucky enough in Georgia to actually uh, have five of those seven in our coastal waters, uh, but our primary nesters are those loggerhead sea turtles. Uh, occasionally we get uh, the rare green sea turtle or leatherback. I think in other islands uh, throughout the coast of Georgia, there's been documented of uh, green nests. I think we're sitting for the state overall, we have seven uh, green sea turtle nests and the rest of them, uh, total of about 4,000 right now are loggerheads. Gotcha. So, um, you know, it's the first time I had a sea turtle biologist or anyone knows any work with sea turtles on. So just want to ask for the listeners, uh, what are some of the main threats that are facing sea turtle populations at the moment? Yeah, uh, there's a lot of threats. Um, you know, once they're adults, so we'll, we'll talk about adult sea turtles and the threats that they face right now. Um, one of their primary threats is us humans. Um, you know, we're out there doing commercial fishing. Um, you might not think of it, you know, you might live in the middle of Ohio uh, in the US and you have a direct impact on sea turtles uh, in the world. Uh, you know, you go to the grocery store and you're buying, you know, potentially a plastic bag or, you know, not using sustainable resources and you're contributing eventually, you know, those plastic bags aren't gonna, you know, biodegrade, they're gonna get into, unfortunately, potentially, into our waterways and into the ocean. Uh, and one of the favorite snacks of some of our uh, sea turtles, specifically uh, leatherback sea turtles, they primarily eat jellyfish and plastic bags in the ocean and jellyfish in the ocean. If you look at a picture side by side, they're very similar. And our turtles can't really tell that. Um, another main threat to them are commercial fishery industries. Um, so shrimping industries, long line fisheries, um, where we're setting out very long lines of fishing hooks into the ocean, leaving them there for hours. You know, some of these sea turtles are very hungry. They see a free snack floating in the water. They're going to get, unfortunately, hooked on those. And, you know, a lot of these long lines are being left in the water for several hours. Um, and, you know, sea turtles, they are reptiles. They do need to breathe air. Uh, so they're not like fish. They don't have gills. So they do need to surface uh, from the water to take a breath before diving back down. And if they're, you know, they can hold their breath for a very long time. Um, but, you know, if they're stressed out on a hook, they're unfortunately probably going to pass away. Um, and then the same with uh, shrimping trawl industries. So we're putting these big, large nets into the waterways that are trawling along the bottom of our, you know, coastal areas catching shrimp. Uh, and unfortunately, there's a lot of bycatch uh, in those fishing industries. Uh, thankfully, in the state of Georgia, we have these things called TEDs. Uh, they're called turtle excluder devices. Um, it's basically a big middle grate that's at the front of one of these large trawl nets. And if a sea turtle or a larger other, you know, 
potentially marine mammal gets trapped in these nets, they're going to hit that metal grate and there's kind of a trap chute that's out the bottom of that net that allows those turtles or other animals to escape um, without getting caught in the and that lets all the other shrimp and other fish get caught in the net, but it excludes those turtles. Um, so those were actually originally developed uh, here in Georgia uh, by a fisherman named Sticky Boone. Um, he's worked with uh, University of Georgia uh, and developed these turtle exclusion devices. And they're actually state required here in Georgia waters. So uh, a lot of other states that are surrounding Georgia actually have implemented regulations as well using these TEDs. Um, but in the state of Georgia, if you buy locally sourced shrimp, you can you know, rest assured that they're actually turtle friendly. Um, so we have really great fishing regulations here in the state of Georgia. Um, some other threats um, to sea turtles that they face in the wild, you know, one of their main predators as adults are sharks. Um, so we do see occasionally some shark bite injuries on a lot of our nesting females that come up. Um, but, you know, our primary kind of risk to our sea turtles is the shrimping industries, other fishing industries, um, and recreational boating. Um, so we have sea turtles that come up with boat strike injuries. Um, so they have propeller wounds across their uh, top part of their shell or what we call carapace. Um, so it's unfortunate, um, but you know, it does happen, but we can do things to mitigate that. So looking at how your, you know, fishing industries are sourcing their, you know, um, supplies. Um, so, you know, going to your local restaurant and be like, hey, you, do you know where this shrimp came from? So, you know, you have a better understanding of where the regulations taken to protect sea turtles while these, you know, fish were caught, where these shrimp were caught. Um, and then, you know, if you're out on the, the water, you know, enjoying a nice day in your, you know, personal boat, you know, abide by those, you know, no wake zones or abide by those boating speed limits. Um, and just having a watchful eye of these sea turtles that are coming up to the surface of the water. So, you know, not having those negative interactions. So there's a lot of things we can do, as, you know, as humans, as our part to protect and conserve these animals. Um, you know, not just, you know, being directly involved in the conservation, but just little things you can do every day, like, you know, taking a reusable shopping bag to the grocery store will help out these animals. Yeah, and I'm already allergic to shellfish, so I'm already doing my part. <laughs> there you go. That's fine. So uh, with loggerheads making up the vast majority of nesting turtles in Georgia, uh, what are some things that set them apart from the uh, six other species? Yeah, um, something that I, you know, is very iconic uh, about loggerheads. Uh, we always kind of joke around and call them our crusty ladies or crusty lads. Uh, they're one of the sea turtles uh, that gets the most what we call epibiota. Um, it's just things that's growing on their shells. Could be barnacles, algaes, crabs um, that are growing on their, you know, carapace or plastron um, all over the rest of their body. Um, so that's very iconic for a loggerhead species. Uh, as well as they have just massive skull. I mean, that's how how they got the name loggerhead is their their skull compared to the rest of the species of sea turtles is just massive. Gotcha. So a lot of this has been made over the years of uh, onshore, like uh, building lighting and stuff like that, being detrimental to uh, sea turtle hatchlings. Could you go into that a little bit? Yeah, um, it is actually really detrimental to not, a, not only sea turtle hatchlings, but the adults as well. Um, so thankfully here on Jekyll Island, we have a lighting ordinance and a lot of other places around the East Coast and nesting beaches around the world have these lighting ordinances as well that 
uh, basically state here on Jekyll that any beachfront property that be, you know, uh, public residents uh, or private residents, sorry, um, public buildings like restaurants, hotels, um, and even street lamps that are, you know, right adjacent to the beach have to have a specific uh, lighting uh, that is in a specific wavelength of light that is considered to be turtle friendly. Um, so usually these lights are more amber kind of red colors. Um, these wavelengths of light are, you know, they're not invisible to sea turtles, um, but they are less, you know, noticeable uh, with their uh, spectrum of vision. Uh, so having these turtle friendly lights um, on the beaches is really great. We want to make sure those beaches are nice and dark uh, for those turtles, um, specifically our hatchlings when they do, you know, emerge out of their nest. They're looking for not only the lowest horizon, but also the brightest horizon. And, you know, in, in the most natural setting, that's always going to be the water. Um, so we either have starlight reflecting off the water or moonlight reflecting off the water. And those hatchings are going to orient to the brightest horizon, which hopefully is the water. And if we have hotels or, you know, people walking on the beach with, you know, a white flashlight, that's actually going to disturb these nesting or sorry, these hatchlings and cause them to misorient. Um, so we've actually, even though we do have um, great lighting ordinance is here on Jekyll where the you know, beachfront properties have to have these turtle friendly lighting. We still have incidences um, from lighting in downtown Brunswick, which is our mainland right off Jekyll and on another island north to us on St. Simons, who has a little bit different lighting ordinance. Um, so, you know, we have a lot of what we call sky glow or where you, you're on the beach and you look up and the sky is just bright. It is lit up like a Christmas tree. Um, these hatchlings are, you know, even though these lights are you know, 10, 15 miles away from the beach, um, these hatchlings are still getting misoriented uh, based off those lights. Um, thankfully, we still have a lot of great um, efforts here on Chuckle that our majority of our hatchlings do go straight out to the water. Um, but yeah, lighting is a big issue, um, not only with the hatchlings, but as well as the female nesting turtles. Yeah. So with uh, turtle nesting, um one of their major threats to species as a whole, the uh, development of nesting beaches? Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, definitely developmental areas. Uh, you know, we see, um, just case in point, on Jekyll, we have a kind of a one-thirds, two-thirds rule of the island. Um, so basically states one-third of the island can be developed or developmental areas, so that being you know, private residences, roads, sidewalks, hotels, restaurants, and then two thirds of it has to remain undeveloped. Uh, and we see a large nesting population of our loggerhead sea turtles nesting on the more undeveloped side of our island than we do on the kind of more developed side of our island. And, you know, we look at islands in comparison um, to us, like St. Simon's is, heavily developed. They have hotels on every single square block, um, you know, of property on St. Simon's. And this year on Jekyll, we currently have 243 uh, loggerhead sea turtle nests. And our neighbors to the north who have, you know, they're maybe three miles away from us, <laughs> separated by three miles of water. I could think uh, they have 22. Uh, and that's, you know, just those large numbers is very drastic on how many we have here versus um, on St. Simon's. And we can attribute to that to uh, more developmental areas, uh, having that kind of negative impact on their nesting populations. So uh, 
You want to go over some of the history of the Georgia Sea Turtle Research Center? Yeah, uh, so the Georgia Sea Turtle Center opened in 2007. Uh, so we actually celebrated our 15th year anniversary uh, this past summer, which is very exciting. Uh, but sea turtle conservation has actually been going on since the early 1980s uh, on Jekyll consistently. Uh, and we've actually have one of the largest and longest running sea turtle nesting and tagging programs in anywhere in the world, uh, which is really awesome to be a part of. Um, we have, you know, data that goes back to the early 1950s. And we've actually have a documentation of potentially, we like to believe that is uh, the first tag that was ever put on a loggerhead sea turtle back in 1958. Um, Back then, they were a little bit different tags than we use currently, um, but we do have a record of that tag and what turtle it was put on. So, you know, Jekyll and, you know, Georgia as a state has been doing sea turtle conservation for many, many years. And we're starting to see the payoffs of those, you know, conservation efforts that were implemented in the 1980s uh, now with our, you know, recovery in numbers. Um, and, you know, here on Jekyll with the Sea Turtle Center, uh, we've been running since 2007 up to now. Um, every single year we've had, you know, night patrols and dawn patrols running the beaches basically 24 seven uh, through the months of May through October. Gotcha. So you mentioned like with uh, plastic bags being a potential uh, impaction threat to specifically uh, leather bags, but that kind of brings to the diet and so like what's like the natural history and diets of uh these turtles sure um so i guess we'll go down the list uh so with our loggerhead sea turtles um they're primarily you know more um eating crustaceans like uh, horseshoe crabs or knobbed whelks um so they're going for more of those crunchy hard organisms occasionally munch on you know the nice fish or um some jellyfish, uh, and then our green sea turtles, they get their nickname, um, not based off the color of their shell, but actually the fat pads that they have underneath their shell are uh, stained green from all the chlorophyll that they eat. And they're eating mainly, you know, seagrass and algaes. Uh, they, their nickname is the lawnmowers of the sea. Uh, and they have a very unique um, skull and beak is what we call it, those jaws right at the front. Um, if you look at the bottom set of jaws, on our green sea turtles, they actually look like little razor blades. Uh, and they're specifically through evolution designed to, you know, munch on our sea grasses. Then um, our Kemp's Ridleys and Olive Ridley sea turtles, they're kind of more towards loggerheads as well. So they're eating kind of more crustaceans as well as more, you know, fish based diet as well. Uh, and then our flatback sea turtles all the way on the other side of the world in Australia kind of have very similar diet to that as well. Um, overarching with a lot of our, you know, sea turtles are all kind of, you know, opportunistic omnivores. So they're going after anything they can really fit in their mouth. Um, that seems tasty to them. Um, and then moving on to like hawksbills, um, they're also mainly eating sponges. Uh, so they're eating sponges and corals. And then, like I said earlier with our leatherbacks, their primary diet is jellyfish. So with loggerheads, what are some, uh other aspects of their natural history besides their diet yeah so some other aspects um you know with their with their ages they're ranging you know we kind of see a general uh 
very similar to humans in lifespan. So upwards of 80 to 100 years with our loggerhead sea turtles. Um, starting their journey, uh, starting you know in the months of May through July, say a loggerhead sea turtle is going to come up. She's going to do what we call body pitting, uh, where she's kind of shimming her shell around, basically doing what we like to call a sand angel, like a snow angel, but in the sand, uh, getting kind of that soft, fluffy sand out of the way before she starts using those rear flippers to dig out her egg chamber. Um, best way to describe an egg chamber is take a light bulb, turn it upside down, and that's basically exactly how a sea turtle nest looks like. So it's got a small, skinny neck, and then it rounds out at the bottom. Um, she's going to deposit anywhere from, you know, 45 upwards of 120, 130 eggs. And then she's going to cover them back. She's going to return to the ocean and she is never going to see those eggs again. She's never going to come back. Uh, those eggs are going to incubate uh, from 45 to 60 days. So we have that kind of average 45, 60 day period where those eggs will hatch up. And then those hatchlings are going to crawl down the beach once they emerge run the gauntlet and get away from some ghost crabs, birds, raccoons, uh, people with white lights on the beach, uh, get out to the sea. And they have a reserve uh, of fat energy stored up in their yolk sac. Uh, so when they're in their nest, when they first kind of break out of their egg shell, uh, they're gonna use a little egg tooth, what we call a caruncle. It's right on the front of their nose. Uh, they're gonna split open that egg. Uh, they're gonna actually sit there for a few days absorbing that egg yolk. Uh, and then they're all gonna start to kind of shimmy their way around. Everybody's gonna get really active in the nest and then they'll come up through the nest and do what we call boil, where basically the sand looks like it's boiling because of all these sea turtle babies coming out and hatching out. Um, go down the beach and with that fat restore, uh, with that yolk sac, they have about 24 to 48 hours of energy uh, stored up in their system. So they're gonna swim for about 24 to 48 hours straight. Uh, until they reach, you know, what we call the Sargasso Sea. Um, so that's kind of this middle Atlantic gyre full of this sargassum seaweed, uh, which is going to be their primary habitat while they're hatchlings and small juveniles, um, anywhere from the ages of basically hatchling to about 10 to 15 years of age. Uh, we call those years the lost years because really don't know exactly where they're going and what they're doing during these times. We kind of have an idea of what they're doing, but it's really hard to put tiny tags on tiny turtles. There's a lot of cool scientists um, that are doing a lot of really interesting research putting these tiny tags on tiny turtles, uh, but it is something that is very, very difficult um, to understand the movements of these turtles. Um, those hatchlings and, you know, kind of juveniles are going to spend, you know, their early years in that sargassum munching on basically anything they can fit in their mouth, that be crustaceans, algae, uh, unfortunately, sometimes plastics. Um, we've had a few hatchlings that have come in in years past where they've passed, you know, small pieces of plastic and the only way it gets inside them is if they ate it. Um, and then once uh, they've reached about 10 to 15 years of age or so, we'll start to see kind of an inwards migration. So they first have while they're hatchlings an outward migration from the shore. Then as, as they get older, they start migrating closer and closer to uh, you know the continental shelf and then right offshore on the East Coast. Um, right around 20, 25 years of age is what we kind of call sub-adult. Um, and then once our loggerhead sea turtles reach about 30 years of age is when they've reached sexual maturity. Um, so that's what we consider an adult sea turtle. They're going to be hanging anywhere from you know 
few hundred miles offshore, close to five miles offshore, just depending on the time of year. Then um, sea turtle mating, you know, usually happens right around February through March and into April. Uh, and we, you know, actually this year we saw a pair of loggerhead sea turtles mating just right offshore Jekyll. Uh, we got a call, said there are some sea turtles, you know, injured and stranded in the surf. We went out there, me and my team, we grabbed our stranding board. Everybody, you know, got ready, got all the things out of their pockets to get nice and wet. And then I was like, hold up, before we ran into the water, that's that's two turtles. Uh, and we saw two mating pair of turtles just right off the beach on Jekyll, which is, you know, very rare to see them that close uh, and even more rare to see them mating that close. But just the, the tides were right and pushed them on shore. Uh, it was very, very interesting to see. Um, then they're gonna, the females are gonna mate with multiple males um, during, you know, mating season. And then it, and they can actually store, and one of my favorite facts to tell people is uh, the females can actually store sperm of a male for up to four years. Um, so she can mate once and then, you know, not mate for, you know, three or four years and then come up and still lay a, you know, sexually, um, you know, reproductively active uh, nest that will produce viable offspring, which is mind boggling to me. Um, another interesting thing is since she's mating with multiple males, uh, she can actually have multiple paternities, uh, multiple fathers in the sea turtle nest. So it could be one large clutch of a hundred eggs, but it could have, you know, three or four different, uh, fathers in those nests, which is really awesome. And then, you know, the cycle starts over again, those eggs incubate for 45 to 60 days, they hatch out and those hatchlings are, you know, starting their own journey. Neat. So do uh, loggerheads, along with a lot of other turtles, do they also have a cosmopolitan range? They kind of do. Um, so we see our loggerhead sea turtles basically anywhere from, you know, South Florida all the way into the Caribbean up to, you know, beaches up in Virginia. Um, our loggerheads are very widely distributed around the world. Um, same goes for our green sea turtles leatherbacks and hawksbills. Um, we do see, you know, our green sea turtles, leatherbacks and hawksbills primarily staying in, you know, more warmer waters when they're nesting. Um, so as we get further, further up the East Coast, we primarily see more and more loggerheads. And the further South we go, um, we still seem see the same amount of, you know, loggerheads, um, but we see additional amounts of, you know, other species like green sea turtles and leatherbacks. Uh, and one of the primary nesting beaches in the world for, um, you know, green sea turtles, leatherbacks, and um, loggerhead sea turtles is right dab smack right around Cape Canaveral, Florida, uh, in the middle of Florida, which is, you know, the Space Coast, which is really cool. Uh, and I think colleagues of mine down there currently have documented in, you know, the beach they're currently working on just about a five mile stretch of beaches. Um, they have about 10,000 loggerhead nests, 10,000 green sea turtle nests, and a few thousand uh, leatherback sea turtle nests. So we we see some hot spots around the East Coast, um, but we do see a wide distribution of you know species around the world. Uh, and then we have one species, our Kemp's Ridley, actually I said, should say two species, Kemp's Ridleys and flatbacks. They are primary nesters to specific areas. So starting with our Kemp's Ridleys, they're nesting, you know, we do see some nesting along the East Coast, but their primary nesting is about a 200, 250 mile stretch of beaches ranging from basically Corpus Christi, Texas, 
down to Rancho Nuevo in Mexico. So that, you know, kind of 200, 250 miles of stretches of beaches are their primary nesting habitat. So we see upwards of 20,000 Kemp's Ridley sea turtle nests just in those stretches of beaches and maybe get one or two on the East Coast every single year. So their primary nesting in the Gulf of Mexico. And then our flatback sea turtles, which are very, um, you know, cryptic species, they only nest in Australia. They don't nest anywhere else in the world. So we only see them nesting in Australia, which is very interesting. And, you know, there's some hypotheses as to why, you know, these specific turtles are specifically nesting on these beaches. Um, but, you know, with sea turtles in general, we don't know a lot. <laughs> we like to think we do, but um, we have some good leading hypotheses as to why they're doing what they're doing, but we still have a lot of un unanswered questions. So what would some of the uh, big unanswered questions be with sea turtles? Oh, that's a good question. I think for me personally, one of the big unanswered questions and with a lot of uh, questions in the sea turtle community as well is, you know, our lost years for these hatchlings is, you know, where they're going. We don't really know. We know they go out to the sargassum. We know a kind of, you know, very simple diet that they're eating. Um, but we really don't know a lot about what they're, you know, what they're doing, you know, from when they're hatchlings up to basically an adult, you know, we have a general maybe idea of, okay, yeah, maybe this is what's happening, but we don't have that, you know, concrete, okay, yeah, this is exactly what they're doing. Um, that's why we've, you know, termed it the lost years, because they get lost, we don't know what happens. Yeah, okay. Let's see here. So what are some other things about uh, sea turtles that you would like to find answers, like answers found to? Ooh, we do know um, with our, you know, what we call the Northern Recovery Unit um, or the NRU and Northern Recovery Regional Unit, basically stretches of beaches from Virginia all the way down to St. Augustine Beach in Florida. Uh, we have a very large collaborative genetics project. Um, so we take one egg um, from each of our nests um, and we have permits to collect these eggs from loggerhead sea turtles. We sacrifice this one egg uh, and we take the eggshell and we send it up to the University of Georgia. Uh, and it's part of a large genetics project. Um, so we're basically building family tree, ancestry.com, but for nesting sea turtles. Um, so we can have this very large gen genetic profile of, you know, how many nests this turtle, specific turtle is laying, where she's nesting, does she have any, you know, grandmothers, daughters, mothers, sisters, cousins nesting in the same area? Um, you know, how many eggs is she laying? A lot of really, really important questions we can answer with just one egg. Um, so we kind of justify the means of sacrificing that one egg to gain a larger understanding of, you know, how these sea turtles are getting back to the same nesting beaches that they nest at every single year, answering questions of, you know, how long sea turtles are sexually active and sexually mature. Um, we've answered kind of a few of those questions. Uh, we know with our genetics project, we have two grandmothers in our population uh, in this northern regional unit. Uh, so they have, you know, daughters and granddaughters that are also nesting. And we know that based off genetics. So it's very, very cool um, that we have, you know, a better understanding of how old these sea turtles can be and still being, you know, sec sexually active and contributing to their population. Um, as far as we know, you know, they can, 
you know, lace nests actively from basically 30 years of age up until, you know, they pass away. Um, so answering those questions with genetics is something that's very, very exciting. Um, we've been running this project uh, for past decade or so. So we have a lot of really awesome data um, that we've collected and we can actually, it's in hopes that, um, you know, by collecting these genetic projects, you know, doing the conservation work that we're doing, you know, in the next, I always like to say, I hope I run out of a job uh, because the reason I have a job is because, you know, these sea turtles, they're, they're doing okay, but they still need a little bit of conservation efforts. But I hope, you know, in the future, we don't, I don't have to do what I do. I mean, I do love what I do and I hope I can do it for the rest of my life. But, you know, I want these sea turtles and other, these populations of sea turtles around the world to be, you know, back to, you know, the pre-1980s numbers that we were seeing and, you know, these species taken off the Endangered Species Act. So with sea turtles, uh, do they only lay one clutch per laying season or do they sometimes lay multiple clutches? They might lay multiple clutches. Um, so they lay anywhere. We see about an average of two to eight. Um, majority of them are laying on, you know, the smaller side of that, usually two to four nests a year. Uh, we actually had a sea turtle uh, loggerhead specifically on Jekyll this year uh, lay seven nests. Uh, so she has consistently laid high number of nests through her genetic history and her history here on Jekyll. And specifically this year, she laid seven. Um, there are other uh, sea turtles on other islands in Georgia with colleagues of mine that I've, I know that have laid upwards of eight to nine nests in the nesting season. Um, so basically through nesting season, how it works is they have kind of two sets of oviducts where those eggs are developing. Um, after they've mated with their males, um, they'll store, store that sperm, um, fertilize one side of their oviduct and fertilize the other. And, you know, those eggs are developing, they'll come up onto the beach, they'll do hold that whole nesting process, lay those eggs and return. And we see about an average of, you know, they take about 10 to 14 days, um, kind of break and resting period while they're recalcifying those other set of oviduct eggs and getting those ready to lay again. Then they'll come back up in about, you know, that 10 to 14 day period, lay another nest, go back to the water and repeat that process throughout the nesting season. And we see that from May through, you know, basically the end of July. So theoretically, a female could have up to 800 offspring a season. So that's that well, leads into another thing. Um, more clutches, reduced clutch up, size. Upwards of those 800 or so, you know, nests and 800 kind of offspring. Um, sadly, statistically, hatchlings don't have the best odds. Um, a lot of studies suggest, you know, one in a hundred. Some studies are suggesting one in a thousand. So not the best odds uh, as a sea turtle and especially not the best odds as a sea turtle hatchling. Um, but, you know, we also see not every single one of those eggs is going to fully develop and fully hatch out. Um, so we can see our current kind of success um, throughout the state. Our average is about 70% of our eggs hatch out. So of the you know total number of eggs that are laid, about 70% of those hatch out. Uh, here on Jekyll, we're a little bit higher. Uh, we have a little bit about 80, 82% of our total eggs hatch. Gotcha.
So, um, as hatchlings, pretty much everything can eat them. <laughs> but once they've reached adult size, other than sharks, what are some other potential natural threats, predators for them? Yeah, some, you know, other natural threats is, you know, climate change. Um, you know, we, we see our oceans getting warmer and, you know, the temperatures at which these nests are incubating at getting higher and higher every single year. Um, so we've actually seen uh, some of our colleagues down in the Caribbean and Indonesia are seeing, you know, leatherback sea turtle nests um, basically getting just cooked in the sand where there's, you know, they have a 100% failure rate with their nests. Um, they're actually having to document these nests, dig them up and bring them back to incubation facilities to incubate them in hopes that these eggs develop. Um, Cause they're seeing, you know, if they leave these eggs on the beach, they're just cooking in the sand because it's so hot. Um, we also see with sea turtles, they have what we call temperature dependent sex determination. Um, so they actually determined the sex of the turtle based on what temperature they incubate at. Um, so we call this temperature, this pivotal temperature. So anything above that is going to produce more female sex turtles and anything below that is going to produce more male sex turtles. We always like to say hot chicks, cool dudes. Uh, it's a little easier term to convey to the public, you know, our science and education. Um, but there was a study uh, with the colleagues of mine down in Australia in the summer of 2019. Um, they put temperature loggers in their nests um, and they, you know, with previous studies, we, we know exactly what those, um, you know, te pivotal temperatures are for certain species. Um, they, they range anywhere from basically, you know, 20 degrees Celsius upwards of 30 degrees Celsius. So that's Fahrenheit. 80 to 87-ish degrees Fahrenheit. Um, so down in Australia, they did the study where they were putting these logger, temperature loggers in the nest while they were incubating. And with the previous studies looking at what pivotal temperatures were um, at specific stages of incubation, they could conclude that about 99.9% .9 of every single nest they had on that small stretch of nesting beach produced female sex turtles. So they had a 99.9% .9 female skew um, in those hatchlings that hatched out that year. Um, usually in conservation biology and, you know, kind of population genetics, we like to have more females because, you know, more females can produce more offspring than, you know, one male can reproduce with a lot of females. Um, and we, you know, usually like to have a lot of females, but we could potentially see uh, in the future, you know, when we're having more and more female sex turtles reach adulthood, uh, you know, 30 to 40 years down the line from now, we're gonna have less males and less genetic diversity, um, you know, in our populations, you know, not saying that's gonna happen, but it's something that could potentially happen with climate change. And we know this based off studies that we have done looking at, you know, the temperature dependent sex determination and sex ratios in the nests. So other than saying uh, ditching plastics and eating renewable, renewably sourced uh, fish and seafood, what are some other things people at home could do to help with protection of sea turtles? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the biggest things is listening to this podcast, educating yourself. Um, you know, you, you might be, like I said, in Ohio, you've never been to a beach. You don't know what a sea turtle is. I've been to a beach. Um, <laughs> uh, we have Lake Erie, okay? There you go. That's it smells like dead fish, but it smells like. <laughs> um, you know, 
you you might come vacation down on the east coast or you might go vacation in the caribbean where they we do have nesting sea turtle populations um and you know i love to go out on the beach at night um but just you know have that reminder of oh okay there are nesting sea turtles here they're affected by me uh i'm gonna come out i'm gonna bring my red light flashlight um so specific turtle safe turtle friendly flashlight you can go on google google red light flashlight they're maybe 10, 15 bucks. Pick you up one of those before you go to the beach. Um, walking the beach. And if you do see a sea turtle on the beach, consider yourself very lucky. It's, you know, we as sea turtle biologists kind of see it all the time, but it's still, you know, very exciting for us. And, you know, as somebody who doesn't work with sea turtles, I'm sure it's even more exciting. I mean, that's awesome. Um, but, you know, respecting these animals, giving them space, you know, don't walk, you know, right up to them, but, you know, give them 50 to 100 feet of space. Let them do their thing, you know, don't touch them. They are protected species here in the U.S. Uh, it is illegal to, you know, handle, hold, touch, poke, or prod sea turtle hatchlings, eggs, and adult sea turtles, you know, without proper permits and protocols and training. Um, so just respecting wildlife, um, educating yourself on the do's and don'ts with sea turtles, uh, as well as, you know, doing your part uh, to let other people know how awesome sea turtles are. And uh, where can people find out more about the Georgia Sea Turtle Center? Yeah, uh, so we have a website. We're actually through the Jekyll Island Authority. Uh, you can either Google Georgia Sea Turtle Center uh, or you could go to the Jekyll Island Authority website slash uh, Georgia Sea Turtle Center. We also have Facebook page, Instagram. Uh, so you can find us there at the Georgia Sea Turtle Center as well. All right. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about? I think that's it. Uh, I could. I mean, I could honestly talk about sea turtles for hours. Uh, but I think I, I think we've hit kind of the big things. Anything else you want to know? Uh, not really. So. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Well, I appreciate you having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Absolutely.